This is Moss Whedland and Story in Mind. And we're just stepping through the cemetery gates. There we go. It's, it's a little overcast. Doesn't look like rain, though. Doesn't, doesn't have that feeling. <clears throat> and topic, I'm continuing uh, literary devices or parts of, and one that I was um, looking at was hubris, which is uh, spelled H-U-B. R-I-S and the one that I keep coming back to the one example that is strongest for me probably too because I've I've read the Iliad the story about Troy I didn't do it in uh, college or university it was on my own that I was just interested in the epics. And I I was thinking, I've got to read this stuff. And even even though I don't think of Achilles as a tragic hero, the more I think about it, I go, I was like, I guess it is. It's this weird, messed up tragedy. And hubris is pride or overconfidence that is a tragic flaw and leads to or contributes to the downfall of uh, the tragic hero. So Achilles is a tragic hero and and a strange one. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read the Iliad. It's worth a read. It's not that long, and it's it goes along at a good pace. There's not a lot of clutter. You know, it's just boom, you get the story. And there's some great translations, so it's very readable. This is saying, you don't have an excuse. <laughs> not really. Uh long lineage and you know um, you, you'll pick up books you know written today that have some sort of allegiance we have terminology um, Achilles heel uh, comes from that story from or from the character of Achilles and then Achilles heel is your weakness and Achilles' mother held him by the heel and dipped him into this river that gave him invulnerability, that he was... It's kind of like his skin had this natural armor. But that one part on his heel where his mother had been holding him, that was the part 
that if he got injured there, that would that would kill him. <clears throat> so hubris. So the example, the great example of hubris in in the Iliad is where Achilles, he's all pumped up, full of pride. He's the number one warrior. He knows it. Everybody knows it. They need him. And I'm trying to remember the exact circumstance, but it's that something like he doesn't get what he wants, and he throws this fit. He throws a tantrum. And from my memory, he's actually on the ground, flailing, you know, in this rage, because he's not getting what he wants. And it was such a weird moment. It was already weird, but that, say, this 2,000-year-old-plus story, you know, that I'm able to connect to it and also reject, you know, the protagonist going, you know, it's like, this is weird, right? Who is this guy? And uh, he's doomed. I can't remember if they actually set it up from the opening and saying, you know, this guy's going to die. Um, the other part of it is that even in the Iliad that he we don't get his death I'm trying to remember sorry if I've, <laughs> if I've totally ruined it for you but no I've already been talking about you know he's, he's a tragic hero things are not going to go well so let's see I'm just I'm just attempting to remember the Odyssey if the Odyssey is completely after the fall of Troy, the journey. <clears throat> and that's another one. If you finished the Iliad, you know, you might as well do the Odyssey. And I believe those are the only two we have. Uh, from Homer. And then after that we get a bunch of Roman um, stories that give us sort of before this um, fight, you know, the Greeks and the, and the Trojans. And then, so it's before Anyways, it sort of fills in the blanks. And we get we get to see a number of different sort of sides to the story. Let's see what else can we say about Achilles? Yeah, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to like the guy. On one hand, we have on one hand, there's this sort of like, oh, wow, he's this sort of super soldier, superhero. Um, 
but he's also conceited, say, you know, about his abilities, and he doesn't just give them freely, and he requires praise in order to make it happen. And in order to sort of get him going, there has to be this uh, death, you know, of somebody close to him, and then that sort of shakes him, wakes him up, and and then he'll go fight, you know, in order to get payback. So, not not a very, not a great guy, and you know, and too, it's weird, it's sort of like this is a, you know, this is a soldier and a hero, but it's also. Um, there's a bit of the Peter Pan going on. This feels like it's a person who hasn't grown up. I can, I can remember getting that from one of my aunties, one of the the hippie aunties, saying, you know, you know when are you going to grow up? And I'm working on it, but uh, into it, it's not it's not what they want. You know, their their idea of maturity is is a bit different from mine. And I've sort of gone to the place where they can't And so, on, on, on one hand, I look at um, Achilles and I go, you know, it's like, I don't get this guy. But I think everybody has a bit of that flaw. You know, we've got ego and... I think it doesn't make sense to Achilles that he doesn't understand the stakes, say, you know, he's kind of living in a different world. It'd be, it'd be like talking to somebody who grew up as a billionaire, who has no comprehension, the kind of, like, uh, Buddha Gautama, you know, before he ever sees, you know, an old person or a sick person or death, you know, he's cooped up in this palace, and, you know, the, the point of view is just sort of, you know, his experience, and he, um, and two, who knows, this invulnerability may have created this distance from other human beings. And two, he's a demigod, you know, his mother is not mortal, she's something like a kind of a ocean spirit and uh, a sort of a, a, a lower level goddess it's interesting to see adaptations where they do um, like I think well we've had a bunch there's been a couple TV shows 
but the one I'm thinking of is this movie, Brad Pitt, and a number, number of other A-listers. And we get a smidgen of his mother, but it really is dressed up as... Um, we don't we don't get the anything supernatural or mystical and from my memory there's a number of gods and goddesses that are intervening in the struggle the story itself is taking place during uh, this ten-year battle. I think it's actually close. They've been fighting for ten years, and so we're sort of we're at the end of this conflict. The famous moment of the Trojan horse comes later, I think. Really, the whole story for the Iliad is um, this shock that gets our uh, our man Achilles going again. You know, this sort of jolt of reality. Death. It sort of reminds me of Gilgamesh. And the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, where there's this uh, friendship, and then there's this shock of mortality. There's a word, and there's a great sense of that with Achilles, and but also too of say someone who is, I said prideful, but is also demanding of status, and sort of going, okay, I know what my status is. I'm a demigod, you know, I'm a super amazing warrior, a leader, a hero, and uh, and not being willing to take a back seat. And, and this is something that occurs, right, that he's... Um, other people are more powerful than he is. You know, he's he's not, you know, the king of some large nation. Uh, he's more of a... I want to say a vassal. And that he, he controls something, but it's not this... It's not a big thing. So there's this feeling of frustration as well that overwhelms him, ultimately. This flaw of his... just jumping back to story mode right now and going, okay, well, if you're talking about the internal conflict of a character, it's 
characters need versus their flaw. Their flaws getting in the way of acquiring or obtaining or experiencing what is needed. And yeah, that's an interesting question that I haven't asked before. It's like, well, what is it that he needs? Um, his, I know what his flaw is. His flaw is hubris, which is this pride, you know, this, this belief in superiority. But there's that question of need. And I'm just going through... My first thought is approval, that, you know, Achilles needs approval, but I've had some conversations, or, yeah, I've had a couple conversations about approval, this sort of, um, it's so important to be approved, right, say, that one is not able to just go and do their thing, you know, that we're waiting for people to sort of, uh, you know, pat us on the back and praise us and say, oh, aren't you marvelous? And that is kind of connected to uh, Achilles, that he is not... Um, that this is about approval, that he wants people to kind of cheer cheer for him and say, you know, you're the best. He wants that applause. And when he's not getting it, he freaks out, you know, because he knows he's the best. And so it's a bit of diva. It's a bit of um, over-the-top... That's another conversation I've had with people, some people, about um, performers. And it seems like, you know, you can go through this list of all the performers that have some kind of addiction problem. Even, say, if it's just drinking. Uh, But that those... There's this uncertainty, you know, even these people who are talented and still they've got to get up there and perform. There's stage fright in the way. There's there's this flaw that is keeping them from, um, here comes that term again, self-actualizing. And it always seemed like a messed up kind of... um, that sort of say, you know, one per, a person wants to go and do these things, but they're also holding themselves back. There's this tug of war happening, and and this you know this flaw ultimately leads to um, numbing themselves out. You know, sort of uh, medicating, self-medicating in order to be able to perform, right? To be able to do this thing 
this impossible thing. And it is impossible. Like, if you think about it, I had this experience just uh, almost a week ago. And over a week ago, I was at, I was at this um, conference, and I volunteered to do this panel, and they said yes, and I, and I prepared, and I went and did the panel, but I was, there was this terror, and I, you know, thankfully, I had prepared myself, and I had, I knew what was coming, and say things that I could do um, to sort of, you know, ease myself into it. And on one hand, you know, I'm sure we all go sort of like, oh, what's the problem? You know, there's no problem. You know, it's easy. And in my experience, it's a, you know, green light day, red light day. You know, that some days are, yes, you know, it's possible and it happens and it feels good, sounds good. You know, everything's working that's a green light day, and then there's a red light day, where, you know, <laughs> to do these things is a nightmare. Um, and, and two, I'll sit there watching a performance, a recorded performance even, and, you know, I don't understand what the problem is. Oh, this person's so talented... They've got lots of money, um, opportunity. What's the problem? And the, uh, the problem is, is that they're a human being. Perhaps that's part of Achilles' problem, is that, you know, he is human, or you know, half-human, and... That that interferes with, you know, his divine side. I'm thinking of Spock uh, from Star Trek. The latest series, Discovery, has we get to see an earlier version of Spock. Uh, there was always a sort of wrestling with. Sometimes not wrestle, but. He, he had mixed parentage. Parentage? Parenthood? Parentage. So he had a human parent, human mother, and then a Vulcan father. <laughs> and for some reason I'm remembering, I just thought it was fascinating that there was one description of it, like that they, his, his DNA had been put into kind of like a blender and, you know, to make this thing possible and say to me that sounds highly dangerous and um, another thing about Star Trek is one of the ideas that you know there's so many um, alien races are humanoid is because they have a common ancestor or at least this alien race who actually sort of seeded worlds with um, humanoid 
beings of their own design. Anyways, yeah, so Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Spock has this mixed heritage. And, you know, he's wrestling with being logical, but then also emotional, and that this is a big deal. Hubris. I'll just do some description for at Jacob the Archer. It's a kind of uh, cartoon quality to the light, the lighting. Uh, and too, it's interesting. I've walked this, these couple streets for, you know, hundreds of times now. And perhaps they're similar, but there's a lot of unique, different days. I'm just passing a kind of little dune of snow, and it's, uh, but it's mostly gone now. A lot of the trees don't have leaves yet, and I haven't, um, I haven't seen the buds. I'm sure they're just sort of like right on the edge of popping out. But uh, no leaves yet. What makes the cartoon quality? I think it's the street lamps. They have these uh, this orange light, and that seems to be the kind of what creates this kind of Alice in Wonderland sort of feeling. Um, that happens every so often. We're almost halfway through the episode. Let's return to Achilles and the question of the need. You know, what is it that Achilles needs? I I kind of like to think that almost it's almost like say my need when I'm reading about this character this flawed character and um, knowing that things are not going to get better for this guy and perhaps it's it's that say when he returns to the battle that that is when he becomes that sort of we see that his redeeming quality, that he's not a total jerk, right? That he can sort of pull himself up by his bootstraps and he can go out and do this heroic thing. It's not realistic. It's not a human... Um, what I wanted to say is that most people would have difficulty um, 
being asked to do something heroic, or I'm just thinking of shell shock, you know, soldiers, uh, human beings, you know, who are put into a situation that is, that they're supposed to perform and do stuff, you know, and uh, they've sort of reached the limit, even though um, they've gone through boot camp, they've been doing, they've, you know, they've been broken down and then built back up as a team. Even, even still, they are human beings, and I guess it's that that's something that he needs. I don't think Achilles would actually. I don't think he would actually be able to sort of take it seriously. You know, he would say, you know, what are you talking about? I'm the best, right? I'm the. I'm the best warrior, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a demigod, etc., etc., and not really understand or comprehend um, what a hero is, uh, in, in the sense of, say, um, somebody who uh, is willing to put their own life on the line to save other people or one person. Yeah, self-sacrifice. I think part of the problem there, too, is that, you know, he just, uh, he's not, um, he doesn't have that experience. Perhaps, I'm, and too, I'm going to go into the plot a bit. It's his, mm, I think it's his cousin. He has this cousin who's very close. You know, they have a very deep, intense uh, relationship you know, of course, you know, family. Um, I don't know if you have a cousin, but trust me, you know, cousins, I don't know what it is, you know, you're sort of close, and and it's different. You know, it's not the same as your brother and sister. Uh, let's see, what else can I say? Yeah. So he loses this person, this cousin actually dresses up as Achilles, goes out, and I suppose it's a bit of psychological warfare, right, and sort of says, okay, you know, here, here's Achilles, and rallying the troops and everything, and of course, you know, the cousin is slain, and uh, Achilles mourns. And then he sort of, okay, you know, I've got to go get revenge now. There's a bit of back and forth with this emotion. Um, in such ways as, say, we have the low, we have the high of going out to get this revenge, and then we have uh, successful revenge, and then we have the, um, the father of the slain, um, enemy requests to, uh, have the body back, and, uh, Achilles says, you know, first response is like, no, 
and then eventually does the right thing. The tragic flaw. As I go through it, though, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that he doesn't die. Um, I, I guess it's that when you have the whole story, like, say, when you have all of the blanks filled in, and, um, you know, the story after the Iliad, um, we don't even get the fall of Troy in the Iliad. And to correct me if I'm wrong, think about it. And two, I didn't start off by saying, did I start off by saying that Achilles was a tragic <laughs> tragic hero? Um, hubris. Yes, definitely. He's got hubris. But but within the Iliad, um, he isn't uh, a tragic hero. And I think it's that we do we end on that he gives the corpse back of ooh, trying to remember the names here. I think Priam is the king. And then uh, Hector. Right? So the cousin is killed. I think the Hector kills the cousin. Hector is of Troy. And Achilles is Greece, Greek. And then Achilles kills Hector. And then Hector's father, King Priam, asks for the body back. So in this story, I think that the redeeming quality is that uh, he's able to rise above his hubris and at least go through the motions of being a human being, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, apologies if this contradicts what uh, what I was what I've been talking about. <laughs> um, and to possibly switching gears. The tragic flaw is supposed to uh, end up, like say it's a you know, cause or catalyst for the death of our um, tragic hero. Switching gears a bit. Yeah, if we were talking about the tragic hero, then then it would get into slightly different territory. Hubris. What what characters have hubris? I sort of felt like Merlin, especially played by uh, Nichols uh, Nichols Williams. Nichols. Nicole Williamson uh, in the movie Excalibur. There's this great portrayal of Merlin and I don't know if you've looked up Merlin at all, but it's a very interesting character. 
sometimes it gets really weird. Uh, some parts of the story, like say that he's he he's sort of half demon, or he's like uh, the devil's uh, devil's son, but his mother took him, human mother took him for uh, baptism. There's all kinds of questions there. It's like, well, wait a second, <laughs> how did how did this happen? And uh, you know, so these things happen, right? Uh, anyway, so yeah, so that he um, he's sort of living between two worlds, kind of ish. There's not there's not very much like say I did not read very much beyond um, as far as say uh, Judeo Christian um, stuff to do with Merlin. But he would be, to me, he would be an interesting character. But I got the sense of hubris that pride. Um, it might be something else, but he seemed to um, he seems to say enjoy kind of being in on the secret. Like there's various ways it was sort of told one. One description of his experience was that he was actually living backwards, and what was it now? There's this scene. It's Merlin is a young boy, but he's just boom, you know, wise and and uh, spooky and. Uh, a king is having a dream about these two dragons fighting and it's either that Merlin goes and reveals what the dreams are or has been interpreting and then so the king you know asks for him and uh, Merlin says dig up this particular spot of ground and you will you will find out what's going on But I just remember this um, description of that he, it's almost like, say, time is out of the way. So he sees his whole future and everything. And it's probably not quite right. Um, and, and too, I probably picked it up when I was something like a teen. But I just remember this sort of um, gut feeling about the whole thing. But in Excalibur, the movie, Merlin is quite um, quite sure of himself, and not not say surprised. I think he does say, you know, oh, I didn't see that or something at one point. Pride and confidence. It could be that actually that you know it's Merlin's downfall because he gets uh, trapped by Morgan Le Fay. You know she. Um, I think she, I think she does sort of prey on his 
pride, right? That he's just so wonderful and magical and amazingly smart and all that. And um, ends up getting trapped in these crystal caves. Yeah, there's a lot of tragedy in... um, the Arthurian legends, especially at the end, it's like, you know, okay, you know, who has the happy ending? The lady in the lake gets her sword back, but no, it's, it's, um, the sword is symbolic of the state and the the country, England, right? Uh, just going through my head thinking of other characters that have been very, you know, sort of prideful. Probably any tragedy. I'm thinking of, say, Macbeth, that there is definite sense of, um, a definite sense of pride. And, but, you know, also to greed, greed for power. And that there's this uh, I'm just thinking about how he and his uh, you know wife, right the, you know the whole sort of blood on the hands trying to wash them and it's not coming out and that. You know this this doing of doing of things that are not um, kind and gentle and good. That this sort of preys upon um, the mind. Oh, one thing I was thinking of earlier was um, pride goeth before the fall. Is that entirely true? It seems like we see a lot of people who excel in one field or another. Um, the contrast would be self-actualizing. There it is again. That the person who is able to excel, but that is a that is a realistic, that is a, you know, say that somebody is doing something and, and you know, they're not um, backstabbing people and destroying, you know, lives and careers. And um, you know, as they climb the, the ladder of corporate success, whatever corporation it is, Pride is a is a setup. It's sort of say you think something that is actually unrealistic, and it that it's bringing you to a point where um, there's nothing beneath you, um, and probably no net beneath you either. Sort of you've taken the step off the ledge, 
and your sort of head is in the cloud, and you know, I'm so great. Uh, and then, and then realism sets in. So, I'm just now backtracking to Achilles and that the tantrum that he has, where he's on the uh, on the ground flailing in this rage. He wouldn't have fallen, right? He wouldn't have be having this tantrum, except for the fact that he he's got this overblown sense of self, right? You know that is not true. It's not realistic. It's not earned. Um, I'd like to think too that, say, the people around them, the other characters in the story. Just that you could kind of sense it, you could smell it. And I sort of wish that Brad Pitt in the movie, or just in any you know, adaptation, that they would show this kind of, just a, you know, just a little bit of drama over the top. Uh, you know, that, that he's not actually deserving of what he desires. And that... That his hubris is is this craving for something that you know he doesn't have. For some reason, I'm thinking of parents and his father, and there's got to be a dad in there somewhere. But I'm just sort of thinking, you know, maybe it's daddy problems, you know, father problems. Maybe it's uh, issues that say he again he's seeking that kind of approval. And uh, also, to not everybody is going to pick up on, you know, that this guy is yes, this guy is basically immortal, except for his heel, but that he's not everything he's advertising, um, you know, and that say the maybe the wise or the careful person sort of like going, oh. This guy is not the you know the kind of guy you want to follow into a battle because he's going to be being all superhero and everything and not taking care of his troops. His strategy is not going to be the sort of um, <laughs> careful, well thought out strategy, and uh, he's he'll be willing to sacrifice because he's going to survive. So. You know, as as long as he's okay at the end of the day, which is a terrible thing to say, but I'm, I'm getting that kind of feeling out of out of this character, Achilles. So we should be in the uh, we're in in the wrap up. Maybe we could just talk about constructing a character with hubris. Thinking about it now, I've seen a number of characters who are, say, snobbish. Um, sometimes they get their comeuppance. Sometimes they, uh, we get to see them uh, fall. That their 
pride or overconfidence, inflated ego, um, sort of gets them into a situation where they, in fact, are not capable. And so it, it, it would almost be, say, imposing limits on someone who believes that, you know, they don't have any, right? You know, oh, you know, sky's the limit. And two, I'm just, I think that most people, I'm just assuming that you would like, you know, say the person who's doing their best, and they're not perfect yet, but they're sort of at that stage where they're able to do, take the next step, right? I love seeing the performer, right, who's got some skill, got some talent, they can do something, you know, they're not perfect. There's a bit of humility. You know, they're humble about it. But also, they're able to get up and do whatever it is that they've got to do. Uh, from the boardroom to the back alley. I'm not sure what that reference is. <laughs> uh, and too, that's a weird thing. That, you know, you could... Um, you could interpret humility however you want. Now my mind has gone on to typecastings. And I'm not sure if it's frustrating for actors. I have, I have heard, I've heard actors talking about being typecast and that they don't have, say... Um, and to some actors are careful and strategic that way, and then others it seems like I just sort of see them in the same role over and over and over. I was just catching up with a adaptation. Um, I'd rather say video than um, TV. But anyways, a uh, adaptation of the name of the rose. And I want to say John Tutoro, and an actor, American actor. And he, I swear, he has had, you know, such a diverse, you know, so many different sort of characters. And um, in the name of the rose, he's playing the uh, detective, this monk. Is it a Franciscan monk? And two, I have seen him break out of his... Um, like, say, I want to sort of categorize him and say, oh, he does quirky stuff. But I have seen him break out and do um, things that are not. And... Uh, like, say, uh, playing uh, Jesus in... The Big Lebowski is a movie. And he plays this he plays this great uh, infuriating uh, character who ha I'm just trying to think was that hubris? 
Uh, did that? Did the character of uh, Jesus definitely ego? I think there was psychological warfare going on that, you know, sort of saying, you know, I'm so good, you're so bad. And uh, over the top. A, a, a great character, a great portrayal. So in, in creating a character with hubris, uh, as as reader, as audience, I do want to see them fall. <laughs> I really do. Um, why? Uh, even just because I have empathy, I know what it's like. Even say if I don't like the character, it could be it could be turned inside out. So you have a character with hubris who you actually like you know, who has redeeming qualities. And so, when we see them fall, that we might have a greater connection to them. You could argue that with Achilles, that um, that there's, you know, there is redeeming qualities there that, you know, say his... Um, you know, he's honestly wounded you know, when his uh, cousin uh, dies. And so it's not sort of a soulless jerk, you know, who self-centered, you know, and you know, it's just about him. Uh, it's, it seems like when those, when those characters are, uh, you know, the self-centered character, when they are, when they fall, there's less... It's less complicated, there's less pity, there's less empathy, and it's like, okay, you really need to, you know, sort of learn some humanity, and there's a question there, though, because there are people who don't, and a bad thing happens to them, and they are, um, it's not, you know, they won't learn from it, it's not their fault, or um, they won't take responsibility for their hubris, for their pride and overconfidence, and instead they'll be pointing outwards and you know looking to blame. So our our character with hubris. Um, and two, if it was a main character, I think something where we do have redeeming moments with with Achilles, you know, say he gives back the body of um, Hector to Priam, King Priam. That you know that that shows some maturity, and it's. It's messy. It's a messy character. But at least it's not a one-note character. And uh, that we would have difficulty connecting with. Okay. I'm heading back to the 
to the graveyard. Back to the cemetery. As the sun begins to rise, all the ghouls and ghastly creatures return to their crypts. What else about hubris? Hubris is coming from someplace. It's... It's a... It, it's an unrealistic expectation. That, you know, something has sort of been built, built up. Part of me is amazed at people who have hubris. I'm trying to think of, in my real life, having met some people... Um, I have met, you know, people who have been quite confident, more confident than I, and I'm just remembering, uh, <laughs> giving, giving one of these folks some advice, and, uh, a warning, it was sort of a warning was passed on to me, so it was passed on to this other person. And they didn't take the advice, and they uh, suffered the consequences. But their personality... Um, their personality was such that they... They were wearing it like a, uh, a badge, sort of say, you know, kind of, I've, I've got to do this thing. And... It's interesting too how they describe themselves or say that you know that they aspired to be a superhero, right? So that they were they were willing to take it all the way, whereas I I was not. And and, and too on, on on one side of the scale I was like going, well that was stupid. And then on the other side of the scale I was I was going, well, you know, okay, perhaps, you know, perhaps some good will come out of this. And, uh, yeah. Last words about hubris. Well, it's not good for the character. And I suspect most writers, storytellers, are going to drive the story towards, you know, crushing this person, a uh, character, crushing this character, and you know, having them grow from the experience. That's one thing about writing, is that say, when, you know, when I think I've got it, it, just almost immediately I turn around and I go, nope. You know, there's still so much to um, do and so much to learn and, of course, not enough time. And say the story that we do is we do the best that we can do um, the best that you know we're able to allow ourselves to do. I'm just thinking about that, you know, the desperation that sort of hijacks 
um, one's ability to, say, do multiple drafts, get feedback, all of that good stuff. You know, instead we're sort of like going, ah, you know, I want to be this thing that I am not. Instead of being comfortable in our own skin and uh, going, you know, this is good. I'm glad and grateful for what I've got. And I'm not saying that I am. <laughs> it's sort of what I aspire to versus, uh, yeah. Hebrus. It's a weird flip around too because it takes. Now I'm sort of going. Is it is it pride, or is it like say overconfidence? That's what hubris is. But say confidence in your ability, just a rational confidence in saying, you know, okay, I've got the skills and the tools. I can create a good story, not a great story. Let's be realistic. Just a good story, and you know, say that a reader is going to experience and sort of leave and, you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, yeah, yeah. Gosh, the hubris of writers. Just float around online for, you know, social media for just a bit. And, you know, there's that, um, the panic and the, the desire and, um, a bit of sabotage, self-sabotage, a bit of, uh, you know, not wanting to wait or, um, I'm going to put out something that is of inferior quality because I'm uh, yeah I and too I totally get it right I've done that too I've I've uh, I put out stuff that you know I just had to get it out of my system and I had I wanted to see it in print and etc etc so okay thanks for listening and Take care.